What does healing mean to you? We can experience healing without having to look or feel the way we did before. Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Hello, this is Eric and Tony, and we are here, episode two of Revealing Voices, and uh, got a great guest on the show today, Tony. Our guest today is Amy Simpson. Amy is deeply committed to seeing purposeful people make the most of their gifts and opportunities. As an author, speaker, and life and leadership coach, she helps influencers get clear on their calling and thrive in times of transition so they can see clearly, lead boldly, live true and fully engage in life with guiding purpose. She is author of the award-winning books, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual Freedom in an Imperfect World, Troubled Minds, Mental Illness, and the Church's Mission, and Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, all through InterVarsity Press. Amy loves to travel with her husband, Trevor, their two teenage girls, and their lovable dog, Rosie. She lives with these wonderful folks in the suburbs of Chicago, where she is committed to perfecting her dry sense of humor and reading nearly everything she can. You can find her at amysimpson.com and on Twitter at A-R-E Simpson. So, Tony, I read Troubled Minds uh, probably three years ago, and it made a big difference in my life. You know, we had just started looking at mental health and faith resources, and Amy was the go-to place to start to um, read um, a very personal story with also some very practical advice and um, really calling on the church to develop more ministries, and I, I think it inspired both of us. Yeah, that was a big inspiration for me. I was already working on my spiritual memoir, Delight and Disorder, and looking for ways that I could speak both to the church and the mental health community. And Amy came along with her book and uh, motivated me to address the subject in a more bold and forthright manner. Uh, So she has really been the work Troubled Minds has been a seminal piece that has spawned a movement um, that's still in its nascent form. I think it'd be fair to say that since her book came out, there's been a lot more activity in that genre. Very much so. Yeah, not only in in the books that are being written, but in ministries that are crossing through the nation, Fresh Hope, as well as uh, the Grace Alliance. uh, uh, Pathways to Promise. Yeah, Pathways to Promise, people who are involved in connecting faith and mental Mm -hmm. health, and uh, really over the last three years have gained their motivation. Yeah. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit 
Tony, about our website. Very good. It is still under development. But going quite strong, thanks yes. to our faithful web consultant. Our <laughs> well, right. Yeah, we want to... Our webmaster. Thank the Indiegogo <laughs> good people out there for helping us have a little bit of money to, to be able to buy a theme yes. uh, through Second Line that focuses on podcast websites. Very responsive, middle-of-the-night kind of folks, my kind of folks. Yeah, we get responses overnight to questions. Uh, it's a you know a drag and drop interface so on the back end. I can drag and drop. I can drag and drop. Uh, right. So we really want to make this an interactive website. So we have an area uh, called "What Does Healing Mean to You?" And the idea there is you can go in, you know, as a member of our audience, and when you click at the very Top, uh, you can write in uh, name, email, and then respond to the question, what does healing mean to you? Uh, once you submit that, Tony and I will be able to read, and the plan then is to post your, your comments. And maybe on occasion we'll share those on the air as well. Definitely. That is right. There's another section called Questions and Prayers, um, on the website, it's right underneath, what does healing mean to you? And on the reveal log. We call it the reveal log. It's, as it, our behind-the-scenes blog, as well as what Eric just mentioned. Yeah, you know, it was, it was very late at night, and I was like, I don't like blog. We need something different. It's the word used by millions of people, and uh, Eric rejected it. You know, it. I'm an Enneagram 4. Not going to go there, but <laughs> I don't even know it's okay. Means. It's okay. Reveal and log. So it, it's like a, a revealing blog. blog, and it's just fun because I'm different and I'm okay with it. <clears throat> we like to play with the language. We do. Instead <laughs> of read more, it'll say reveal more. Reveal more. A nice little touch. We're, we're revealing things here, revealing voices. Uh, but anyway, there is a section. It says uh, questions or prayers, and there's Again, comment boxes that'll come to us, um, and we'll be able to share some of the on the air, share some of the on the blog. We really want to get user-generated content out there. And our blog is updated pretty much weekly. Um, we try to keep abreast of what work is being done behind the scenes, um, things related to upcoming episodes, episodes that have just aired, as well as some of the um, ins and outs of what it means and what it takes yeah. to do a podcast. And Tony, you're about to publish uh, a review of Amy's book. Absolutely, yes. A review of Blessed Are the Unsatisfied will be up and running by the time you hear this. Very good. Look forward to it. Let's get to the interview, Tony. Amy, I was first introduced to your work through your book, Troubled Minds, Mental Illness, and the Church's Mission. It was in many respects a seminal work opening the conversation about mental illness in Christian circles. What motivated you to write this book? You know, as with pretty much everything I write, it comes out, it came out of my own story and my own experiences yeah. and my own passion. Um, and for me, with this, with Troubled Minds, there were really two streams that came to get together for me in my experience. And one of them is, you know, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in a ministry family. And um, unlike some pastor's kids, I actually love the church and 
had a, really enjoyed being in a ministry family. Um, and I, the church is very important to me. The church's min- ministry and mission are very important to me. And I've spent a lot of my professional career, you know, helping churches to, to, to do good ministry. And, and then the other piece is, you know, having a, in addition to having a dad who's a pastor, I have, have a mom who has severe mental illness. And so I grew up in a family, um, profoundly affected by mental illness and can, that continues to be, you know, an unfolding part of my story. My mom still um, struggles with schizophrenia and it's still, you know, every day, uh, part of my, mm-hmm. my life and my experience. So, you know, I, I wrote it because of my love for the church and because of my, my love for my family. I'm curious to know how they responded. If, if they've read the book, how they responded, your mom and dad. Yeah. I, I actually, before I set out to write on this topic, I sought my parents blessing on this project. I did not want to write about, and for a long time, this was the one topic I was absolutely sure I was never going to write about anything about mental illness because partly because it was, there was a lot of, there's a lot of pain around that topic in my story and my family's story. Um, a lot of difficulty, um, very personal, you know, topic. And then also partly because, um, it's not just my story. I knew this was my whole family story and, um, I, I just didn't know that there was a way for me to, to, that there would ever be a way for me to do this without, um, you know, and, and honor my family and, and without dragging them into something that they might not want to be dragged into. This was written, this book was written with my parents' blessing and with their participation. Same with my siblings. I actually interviewed every member of my immediate nuclear family so that I was able to tell some of the story in their words and, and from their perspective. Um, my dad has read the book. My mom has not read the book. Um, I, I am very happy with her decision not to read the book. My dad has read to her portions of the book that he felt would bless her. And I think she's been blessed mm-hmm. by that. Um, but yeah, so I've great. got, you know, I've gotten great feedback from my family on the book. And I think they've all been very supportive and feel like, you know, they're part of that ministry too. And they really are. You, you have troubled minds. Uh, you also have a new book out. Mm-hmm. It just came out about a month ago. Right. Uh, I'm holding it in my hand. <laughs> I think you sent it to Tony, and Tony let me borrow it. And, and so I, I'd like to you know, spend some time talking about Unsatisfied, mm-hmm. uh, finding spiritual freedom in an imperfect world. You refer back to your family and your upbringing. And you have a beautiful paragraph that I'd like to ask you to read. Would you read this sec- segment on your mother in the introduction? Yeah, this is on the bottom of, of page two. I and, and just to set a bit of background, I, I included this in the introduction because I, I wanted to set a bit of the stage for, like you said, my own story and why this idea of being unsatisfied has been um, such a profound theme for me. And part of it is because... Um, there's a lot that has not been satisfying about my life. Um, so what I wrote was the, the persistent anguish of repeatedly losing someone I loved affirmed to me that I did need something more than just a relationship with God in this life. While it's true that God is a mother to the motherless, nothing replaced that missing relationship. And while being essentially motherless is not a fatal condition, it has a lasting impact. It leaves scars that are always sensitive. So if I was going to believe any story about God being with his people and meeting all their needs, 
it was going to have to accommodate a story like mine. Thank you. Yeah, that's a very powerful statement. And I think it's one that many people, you know, women, men, um, uh, people with various life stories can identify with because, you know, all of us are missing something, whether it be a relationship with a parent or broken relationships in uh, later life uh, or the loss of loved ones in, uh, uh, in, through death or uh, broken relationships. I, I think that's be- beautifully put. So oh, thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it. And you're right. You know, this is, that's part of my story. Everybody's got their story. Every, every one of us has multiple things in our lives that we would not have chosen for ourselves, that we, we may have even begged God to take away from, from us and from our lives. And yet those are often the, the places where God's grace shows itself most profoundly. And while we are not satisfied by our lives, we are heading somewhere, <laughs> you know, and, and God's grace makes that abundantly clear to us when we pay attention. I really like some of the biblical scripture you bring into the book. One area near, near the end, page 154, 155, you're talking about Paul, and you reference a scripture that's well known uh, with, you know, the start, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Mm-hmm. Right, and then talking about common interpretations of that, meaning something along the lines of God will empower me to make my dreams come true. And then you really uh, bring up some uh, nuances to what Paul is really speaking to. I'd like for you to bring that out a bit here, please. Yeah, so, you know, the interesting thing is people often quote this verse, um, in an old translation, because that's what we, you know, from most of us who've learned this verse, we've, we've learned it in an old translation. And, um, I find it interesting that the, the NIV translates this verse differently than they did in the past. And where, so for many of us, we'll say, you know, we'll quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and first of all, the problem is we're pulling that verse completely out of context. So there's, you know, there's a very important context for this verse. But the other thing is, it's, it's actually kind of not the best translation or the best interpretation of what that verse is actually saying. So when you read Philippians 4.13, it actually says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You have to read the context of this passage to understand what it's talking about. And when you do, you realize, oh, he's not, you know, what we're talking about here is not, you know, being at your peak performance or getting everything that you want or, um, you know, somehow making a, a superhero out of yourself with God's help. It's really about um, doing all circumstances through Christ, um, through the strength that, that Christ gives us. It, and, and preceding this verse is a lot of um, talk about some of the things that Paul has been through. Well, when you read it that way, you know, we're talking about something completely different from the way people often use this verse. And, and ultimately, this is not a promise that our circumstances will be enjoyable or easy. It's not a promise that we'll, we'll be able to do all the things that we want to do or that we'll enjoy doing them. This is really a promise that God is, you know, that Christ is going to be with us, is going to give us strength regardless of our circumstances, even though all of us experience difficult circumstances that we don't want to be in in this life. You bring out of that passage the uh, idea of contentment, and Paul writes about contentment 
so how would you distinguish what you're talking about living unsatisfied lives with living contently? Yeah, the the idea of being content is, you know, really that you you it's an, a decision that you make. It's an internal state accepting peacefully that what I have and where I am and who I am, you know, is enough. And I'm not going to be striving after more, even if I don't have everything I need or I don't have everything I want, or this isn't exactly what I would have chosen for myself, but I'm going to choose to be content with what I have. That's a Mm. different idea from being unsatisfied. And it's funny because at first glance, I think these two things might seem like they don't go together because how can I be content and also be unsatisfied at the same time? But when you really think about it and understand what I mean by it being unsatisfied, they actually really do go very well together. In fact, unsatisfaction, our lack of satisfaction makes contentment matter. So, mm-hmm. you know, so un- being unsatisfied is really this state of, of not having everything I want, not having everything I need, longing for more, and yet I can be content in that circumstance knowing, you know, deciding that this is enough. I'm going to be content with this for now. (laughs) And that's an important, the for now is an important part of what I talk about in this book, you know, that this is not all there is. The, The prosperity gospel is something that we hear a lot about. And I don't think you even reference that in the book, but I, I, certainly read into it that uh, this is a critique of those who um, really look to uh, Scripture as a call to uh, prosperity in this life. Uh, I know certainly in my own spiritual journey, um, reframing life away from a prosperity gospel um, context has really helped me grow much deeper my spirituality and my relationship mm-hmm. with Christ. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is I, you're right. I don't, um, I don't spend a lot of time talking about the prosperity gospel specifically. Um, although I do make some oblique references to it. Um, but <laughs> the, and, and this is a conscious choice because the reality is that sort of thinking and that kind of message has crept into way beyond the prosperity gospel, you know, people who would say they hold to that sort of gospel. It's really become part of the gospel message that that many of us are hearing in our churches every week and that we hear regularly on Christian radio and in popular Christian books. You know, it's not the full-on prosperity gospel, but it's sort of a it's a kind of a halfway version of it that has become very common. I hear it all the time. And that's part of what led me to write this book actually because um, you know, it's just not often questioned, even though we really have no basis right. for saying some of the things that we say. I want to ask you, um, at different points in the book, you distinguish between unsatisfaction and dissatisfaction. And I'd like you to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, this is a really important distinction, I think, that I make in the book. And and the idea is, you know, I'll, I think for many people, if they hear the idea that I'm, you will not be satisfied in this life, it sounds like bad news. It sounds like terrible news. And in some ways it is. Let's be honest. It's not what we would have chose, choose for ourselves. 
And, and it can be easy to assume that the only option, the only other possibility I have is to be dissatisfied with my life. And dissatisfaction is really, you know, it's really uh, expecting satisfaction and not receiving it. And this right. can happen, ha this happens to all of us. We've all found ourselves, you know, dissatisfied. And when that's a chronic condition for people, it's actually very harmful for people. And ultimately it results in, um, it can result in bitterness, you know, anger, a sense of entitlement, maybe a sense of emptiness because we become constantly fixated on what we don't have or with what is disappointing us. Being unsatisfied, I'm, I'm defining that very differently. And that's really having acknowledging an open space in our lives and not expecting satisfaction here and now. So, you know, while dissatisfaction expects satisfaction and doesn't receive it, unsatisfaction does not expect satisfaction. We, we can acknowledge you know what, I am unsatisfied and I won't be satisfied here in this life. And so I'm going to keep that space open rather than trying to fill it with things that will not ultimately satisfy me. And this mm -hmm. leaves space for anticipation and for hope. It changes right. our, our attitude and our orientation toward life and toward God and yeah, makes room, you know, that empty space in our lives instead of being something that we have to, we're desperate to fill because we're afraid of it, can become a place mm -hmm. of anticipation that we're looking forward to being filled right. at some point. Well, I think there's some discernment there between, you know, what is the source of the satisfaction. I think it's reasonable and true to say that in this life, we will never have full spiritual satisfaction. You know, it's kind of like the mountaintop experiences are a full satisfaction spiritually, but for the most of a majority of our lives, we're not yeah. there. Um, but we do see it. We do know it. And it's okay to not be there uh, on the mountaintop all the time. And, you, and you've given people clarity around that and some peace about the fact that most of our lives, we are in the valley. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, it, this is essentially addressing that need for spiritual satisfaction. And at the same time, it, it applies really to our whole lives <laughs> because materially right. we won't be satisfied. So many people live with lifelong challenges to their mental health, like my mom does. And yet the rest of mm -hmm. us, we have, we have mental health struggles too. You know, all of us live sure. on that, that spectrum and, and nobody is going to stay over here on this like 100% healthy end of the spectrum all the time in our mental right. health and our emotional health. You know, this really applies to every aspect of who we are because we are complete beings and every way in which we need sustenance, ultimately we need it from God. Sometimes I, you know, ponder addiction and its association with spirituality. And I, I think, you know, there are plenty of good things and good experiences that can help be a, you know, kind of a signpost of, uh, you know, blessing or pleasure. Um, but as you say, they mm -hmm. are finite. Uh, but the trick is when we start substituting that finite thing for filling that hole, that really is the, the addictive yes. path, you know? And, and so I think as Christians, we really need to be sharing that story. And I, I, I think your book here can, can help put, put some of that, into context and the nature of addiction, how we can 
have a spiritual answer yeah, to that. That's a great point. And, you know, there are all kinds of addictions. Um, and, and some people don't realize that, you know, that we're not just talking about some of the, the classic addictions to substances that are, you know, to illicit substances, but people can have very good things in their lives that have taken that addictive place in their lives. The trick of evil is to, I think, take that finite fun, pleasure, you know, blessing, whatever you would call it, and, and mistake it for the infinite. Yeah, exactly. To place it at the center of our lives, make pleasure an object of worship, or make it the center of our lives so that our lives are oriented around it. And right. then it then it turns on us. And, you know, the, the funny thing is often what happens to us and it's it's any form of pleasure or anything else, really, that we place at the center of our lives. The what we the mistake we often make that leads us to that point is thinking that's the only thing that's allowed in our lives. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, happy. I think of happiness as sort of the emotional equivalent of pleasure or the emotional expression of pleasure. It's a form of pleasure. And mm. happiness is, I write about happiness itself, you know, specifically in the book, in that section, the section about pleasure, because it's such a, such a, an object of purpose for so many people. You know, I just want to be happy, or I just want my kids to be happy, or I just, you know, we live in the land of the pursuit of happiness. And mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with being happy. We all ought to experience happiness and to enjoy it when we have it. The problem is when we think that's the only emotional experience that is allowed in our lives. Yeah. And, and when, you know, the lack of happiness gets tied into, uh, you know, a mental health situation, you know, it, it becomes like, oh, I'm unsatisfied or dissatisfied and therefore I'm depressed, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. I know a part of my own mental health journey has been living into those mo moments where I'm not so happy, you know, when my moods take me into a place that is a little bit darker and being okay with that. Uh, it's just a dangerous place to really make happiness the barometer of your spiritual or mental health. Yeah, exactly. And the ir irony is that the more we experience things other than happiness, the more we appreciate happiness when we have it you know, the happier happiness feels in a sense, right. because it is happening to us in the context of uh, emotions that are very different from happiness. And, and those emotions actually can heighten our appreciation and experience with feeling happy. Yes. There was a poet I just read about uh, saying something along the same lines about if there were no winter, how could we appreciate spring. So recent comments were made from prominent Christian ministries that questioned the need for mental health care for persons of faith. And you went on the podcast quick to listen to address this issue. What is your take on the subject? Yeah, so this is a this is a big one and one that have again, we hear all the time. We these comments are made all the time within Christian circles. And, you know, for, for some people actually do explicitly question the need for mental health care or will say, you know, that mental health care, we don't need it, or it's, it's somehow anti-God, you know, it's, it has no place in the Christian life. 
And then other people, they won't make a claim like that, but they will sort of imply that in something they say, you know, and may, maybe without even recognizing that what they're saying might be heard that way. Um, so I think we just have to be very, we have to be very conscious of um, the history here of, of how people are go going to hear comments like this and how hurtful these implications can be. So often they're coming out of, I think, two places. One is ignorance. There is a lot of, there is a lack of knowledge about mental health and mental health care um, in many churches. And people just, they, they need to better understand what it means to have this physical organ in our heads that actually can get sick, can get injured, can be disordered, um, can be, you know, can fail to function properly, just like any other organ in our bodies. And when the brain doesn't work right, that's, that doesn't have a, a stronger connection to spirituality than our, uh, the other organs of our bodies do. You know, I think just learning to think about it in a different way. And the other thing that I think this, these sort of comments often come out of is a sort of, it's a sort of wishful thinking, <laughs> maybe a, a mm -hmm. spiritual wishful thinking, um, thinking that, you know, it doesn't really work this way. Okay. So when people say things like, you know, if you just would pray more, or if you just had more faith, or um, if you just, you know, spent more time reading God's word, you know, your, your problem would be taken care of your, you wouldn't feel that way right. in our churches. We need more, a more robust theology, not just of mental health, but of suffering in general, because we're often neglecting that area in our teaching. And, we need a greater sensitivity to how the how our discussions of mental health, how our reactions to people are going to affect people and not just people, but people who are at their most vulnerable. Um, you know, people who are going through a mental health crisis or experience a mental health problem, especially the long term one, they're vulnerable people who need extra care from us, extra love, um, extra expressions of love. And instead, we're often treating them with great insensitivity. Um, we need mm -hmm. to have more courage in the face of questions about mental and emotional health. We we often react to these questions or these issues with the spiritual equivalent of, of a deer in the headlights. You know, thinking that we have nothing to say. We don't know what to say We because we think we we ought to be able to fix it. So if we can't fix it, if we don't have something to say that will fix your mental health problem, we don't have anything to say. And that's tragically untrue. We have a lot to say. We have a lot to offer. We, have, we actually have answers in our faith as to why people experience afflictions of all kinds, including mental health problems. We actually have hope. We have, um, you know, a, a relationship that, that, while it may not remove the source of your suffering— will be with you in your suffering. We have a community of people who can come alongside. So we have a lot to offer through our faith and we need to be more courageous, I think, about offering it rather than thinking, you know, we have nothing to offer. So one question we ask all our guests, and that is what does healing mean to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Take as long as you like. Okay. So for, for me, um, healing, it means moving in the direction of restoration. Um, and I think that does not always mean full restoration. 
you know, healing is, can be done in stages. Uh, we can experience it in small ways. We can experience it in big ways, but ultimately it, it results in the restoration of something that has been damaged or that has been, um, hurt or that has, has maybe formed in a, a way that's not helpful to us. So when we're talking about, you know, emotional healing, for example, sometimes what, what we're healing or what we're needing to restore is a way of functioning that is helpful to us rather than hurtful to us. Um, maybe it's the restoration of, uh, you know, a relationship that has become mm -hmm. damaged or, but, but it doesn't mean that it has to look the way it did before. <laughs> it doesn't mean that, you know, if, if you experience healing, it doesn't mean you won't have any scars. You know, if you think about our physical bodies healing from an illness or an injury, often there are scars left behind, or there are changes to the way our bodies work if we experience some kind of serious illness. So we can yes. experience healing without having to look or feel the way we did before. Do you have a, a personal experience of healing that you would like to share? Well, my, my whole journey around my, the experience in my family and the experience with my mom's mental health has been a journey of healing. You, you do mention the, the scarring in your, um, that paragraph you read earlier. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that this topic, the, the subject of mental health or mental illness was the one thing that I was sure I was never going to write about. And, you know, there were various reasons for that, one of which was just the, the personal pain that was represented in this story for me. And what, what happened for me, what changed that was ultimately healing. It was going through the process of better understanding my story, my family's story, what we had gone through, um, the impact it had on me, um, questioning some of the things that, that growing up with schizophrenia, schizophrenia in my family taught me and learning some things that contradicted those lies. You know, mental illness is a liar. It, it mm -hmm. lies to everyone who is unfortunate enough to be personally affected by it. And so healing sometimes means learning something that contradicts those lies. So for me, you know, I, I went through decades of work doing, doing counseling off and on, um, you know, reading books, having important conversations with people, um, interacting with my family, learning how to interact differently, um, mm -hmm. exercising boundaries, stand, sticking right. up for myself. You know, it was all very practical and it took me a long time. It, it took me until I was in my mid thirties to begin to even entertain the idea of sharing this story. Mm -hmm. And so healing, you know, it happened for me in stages, um, brought me to a place where I had done enough healing that I'm able to share this story. And honestly, the act of writing a book and then going out there and yes. speaking on this topic has been, has accelerated my healing. You know, it's been tremendously healing. And the thing is, I am on a journey with that. I know I will not be fully healed of any of my wounds in this life until mm -hmm. God fully renews me and restores me to the, the person that he initially created me to be. But I'm on that journey. And so that healing is, it's part of my story. 
It's part of my past. It's part of my future. It's part of my presence, present. It is part of the, just the path that I'm on. Yes. You write, here's one way I describe my unique sense of purpose. Oh, yeah. To be a quietly blazing fire that heats the room with beauty, truth, and wisdom. Mm-hmm. That, that's a really beautiful statement, and I was just curious on how you created that. And I imagine you, in your you know coaching career, also help people develop similar sorts of purpose statements. Yeah, exactly. And And actually, how I came to that, statement myself was through coaching. (laughs) Um, It was actually through my training to be a coach. So when I was going through coaching training, one of the things that that is very, very important piece of the training program I went through is receiving a lot of coaching yourself. So, Mm. you know, we're, we're, we're really um, not only practicing on each other, but also, you know, being asked the, the program that I went through really asked us to, to show up fully, to be open to be ready for transformation ourselves because that the coaching that we received in that program was going to make us better coaches to other people ultimately. Yes. So, um, yes, this is one of the things I do with most of my clients is help them come up with a life purpose statement like this. And I received the gift of this statement through my own work with the coaching program when I was training and I've refined it a little bit over the years since then, but mm-hmm. it's, You know, it's really about understanding who am I at my best and what impact do I feel called to make on the world and put, you know, kind of putting those things together in, in better understanding. This is kind of who God made me to be. Yeah, it's unconventional, you know, and the quietly blazing fire. I mean, ever since I read that, I I could kind of be a in the room <laughs> with you in a way. Uh, so it, it's cool to hear be on the, on the call around the quietly blazing fire of Amy Simpson. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. For, that, yeah. for me that, um, the, both the fire and the quiet are, are important. You know, I'm not a loud, um, person who's going to cut a swath through your, through your field, you know, like a wildfire. Um, Mm. but there is, there is a fire that God has put within me and, um, it's, you know, I feel it's part of my responsibility to tend that fire and to let it warm others at the same time. Well, I think one of the strengths of your ministry is that, like you said early on, you developed a, a love for the church, the way you approach the topics of mental illness and the, the church, you aren't trying to beat anyone over the head but you're raising the issue in a fiery manner but with a in a quiet sense of peace i appreciate that thank you and you have a beautiful story amy i i know it's been instrumental in in my own healing and that of others uh, from those i've met to others i read about and uh Once again, your new book is Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual Freedom in an Imperfect World. You know, Eric, um, when I was in ministry just starting out, one of my mentors said to me, if you want to be a change agent, don't seek first to change, but instead to love the people and love ministry. And he said, as you love people, you will love them into transformed lives. And I think that's what Amy brings so 
well to the church and to people with mental illness. She has a great love for her church, um, born largely out of her father who served as a pastor, and she loves people with mental illness, um, her own mother with schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And by having these great loves, she serves as a prophet pastor that brings together both and has um, these two working together to build bridges for each other. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, there are some people who, uh, in, in the realm of mental health advocacy, I think get worn out, get angry, yep. you know, looking at a, you know, quote unquote broken system. And Amy does not come across that way at all. Not at all. Very you know, positive. That's right. And I think that is the best way to uh, advocate, to start from a place of hope. And even in talking about unsatisfaction, she points to hope. Right. The unsatisfaction in this book is not about being angry. It's not about um, being complacent and giving up. None of that stuff. Uh, there is some great language clarification in this book, and I think any church leader could read this and get a different perspective on what it means to be unsatisfied and really speak some truth in their congregations and help others to be advocates with hope and in addition to that language clarification, there's a clarification of, of Scripture interpretation. Yes. Uh, looking at Scriptures that have been wrongfully misused based on wrong translations or uh, overuse or just casual uh, glances. And mm -hmm. she gives us a better picture of what this means. Mm-hmm. Another you know angle here is just speaking to her career as a coach, uh, a life coach, and you know I'm not sure if I'm going to call her and see if I can be one of her students quite yet, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure if I was, I would learn a lot of good stuff, and it would help me in my own leadership development. Uh, so for all of you out there who uh, are coached by Amy, you know, reach out to us and maybe share a story just so we can. Uh, promote her work and, you know, look at her professional life from a different angle because uh, from our experience just on this podcast, she is a gently blazing fire. If you'd like to learn more about Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, you can see a review on our website. The book is a perfect read, you know, it clocks in around 200 pages, which I always appreciate. So Tony, for our next show... We have a very special guest in the studio. I know, very special. He he's um, been a friend for quite some time. Yep. You know, I've shared ministry with him. Has a, a passion for mental health. Uh, spent eighteen years as a Presbyterian pastor. I think you know him very well. I do, and it is me. Yes, <laughs> Tony. What's your middle name? Tony E. Tony E. Roberts. The right, the right Reverend Tony e. Roberts. Is that Tony Eric Roberts? Uh, no, it would just be E, like Harry S. Truman. Like Edmund? It, uh, it could be. I, I suppose it could be anything. But Tony will be revealing his actual middle name on the show, so you better <laughs> tune in. 
Better tune in and uh, and and listeners, if you would like to make up a middle names because I don't have one, you can send yours to me at Tony at delightanddisorder.org. I'll go with Edmund, like uh, the fellow from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you all. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com.